humans, hello humans, hello humans of the world. It is me, Ellie Krug, on AM 950. How are you? Happy Saturday to you. Happy snowy Saturday to you. Um, of course, I'm taping this on Friday before the snowfall, although I was upstairs a little bit ago out of the bunker looking out the window and the snow is coming down. So I hope that uh, you're dealing with it all right. <laughs> By the way, note, the snow that came down will be on the ground until uh, the end of March. <laughs> At least. Just saying. Okay? Well, we've got a great show. The big interview is with Todd Dorman. He is an Iowa journalist who will talk about, uh, among other things, the legal – the attempt to legalize uh, oppression of educators in Iowa and about how the state of Iowa has turned so incredibly to the right. Um, and I bring him on because we here in Minnesota must be vigilant. We must be about Minnesota not turning into an Iowa. I mean, look at Iowa, look at Wisconsin, you know, South Dakota. There you go. All right. And in my C block, I'm, I have a, a couple of things I want to talk about around giving, okay? But here in the A block, let's talk about our featured idealist. And it's a name you've heard of late, no doubt, given the renewed increase in school-related shootings. I'm referring to Fred uh, Guttenberg, whose 14-year-old daughter, Jamie, was murdered on February 14th, 2018, Valentine's Day. She was murdered along with 16 other students and educators and administrators at Marjorie Stoneham Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. That incident has the horrible distinction of being the deadliest school shooting in U.S. history with 17 deaths. There were 17 other people that were wounded. Guttenberg's other child, Jesse, who was also a student at the high school, escaped the incident unharmed. And as it was all unfolding, Jesse got a hold of his father and the two of them, uh, Jesse ran to meet his father in a nearby store. But soon thereafter, a SWAT team officer told Fred Guttenberg that his daughter, Jamie, was among the victims. At a vigil the day after the incident, Fred was asked to say a few words. And that would be a moment that would propel Fred Guttenberg as an idealist. Whether reluctant or willing, it propelled him into the center of the gun violence debate. From there, Fred became one of the public faces and probably the most notable, identifiable adult face in the contemporary debate about guns in America. Now, you may also recall that we had a number of Parkland students who were very visible over this. Um, and they are still doing their work, but I think they're also trying to go to college. They're also trying to get on with their life. But those students really did something, okay? And so um, Fred Guttenberg isn't nuanced about his views. Let's just make sure that's clear. For example, at a CNN town hall shortly after the shooting, Fred criticized then-President Trump for not saying that guns are a problem in America. That occurred when the White House hosted a listening session about gun violence, but, the, but our president couldn't bring himself to criticize uh, the gun lobby. Fred's response when uh, hearing that the president refused to say anything about guns being a problem, Fred's response was, quote, my daughter was hunted down last week 
unquote. And he, Fred went on to describe himself as outraged at the president's reaction. Since then, Fred Guttenberg has confronted politicians like Marco Rubio and others over their support for guns in the gun lobby. And during President Trump's State of the Union address in February 2020, Fred Guttenberg attempted to shout out over Trump, which resulted in Fred being asked to leave the event. Then uh, there was also an incident with Brett Kavanaugh during the nomination uh, hearings for Kavanaugh where Fred uh, introduced himself to Kavanaugh in a hallway and Kavanaugh turned around without shaking Fred's hand. Can you imagine that? Kavanaugh later attempted to excuse the slight by saying, oh, it had been a chaotic morning. But Fred wasn't having that excuse. He called Kavanaugh's explanation less than genuine. Within a month of his daughter's death, Fred Guttenberg declared that he would dedicate the rest of his life to fighting for gun safety. He has created a nonprofit organization, Orange Ribbons for Gun Safety, uh, that's advocating for Jamie's Law, that among other things, this law seeks requiring background checks for the purchase of ammunition. Um, Now think about that, okay? There are a lot of guns out there. I mean, you know, like 300 million some odd guns in America. Many of them are illegal. Many of them occur, somebody buys a gun for somebody else. It's called a straw man purchase or, or somebody, somebody um, yeah, steals a gun or whatever. But if you cannot get ammunition for that gun, it doesn't matter that you got the gun. And so I think that that's a pretty radical kind of approach. And so what, what Fred Guttenberg and his organization, Orange Ribbons for Gun Safety, is advocating is that they are advocating that you have to go – if you want to buy ammo, you have to go through a background check for the purchase of the ammo. Uh, this proposed legislation was introduced in Congress by Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut and U.S. Representative Debbie Wasserman Schultz of Florida. Of course, we know where it will go with the way things presently stand in Washington. But still, it's an extremely smart piece of legislation. So before the tragedy at Marjorie Stoneham Douglas High School, Fred Guttenberg was a salesman for Johnson & Johnson and an entrepreneur. He built up a stable of 16 Dunkin' Donut stores, um, which he had sold about a year and a half before the school shooting. Fred has put his sales and entrepreneur talents to good use as he advocates against gun violence. So he's written – Um, a book, Find the Helpers, named after Mr. Rogers' favorite saying, which Fred describes as he said that he and his two children, uh, Jamie and Jesse, that they would watch uh, Mr. Rogers and that that saying, Find the Helpers, was something that he talked with them about. And that's the title now of Fred's book. Fred describes the book as not one about gun safety or the Parkland tragedy. Rather, he writes that the book is about, quote, his journey since Jamie's death and how he has been able to get through the worst of times thanks to the kindness and compassion of others, unquote. One of the things that Fred details in his book, uh, Find the Helpers, is about 
the kindness that President Biden showed him. Fred also has a bi-monthly podcast with the same title, Find the Helpers, where he interviews influencers and celebrities who are, quote, doing extraordinary things to make a difference in the world we live in, unquote. Hmm, sounds like somebody I know. One other note about Fred. He had a brother, Michael, who was a doctor. And Michael happened to be at the World Trade Center when it collapsed. Somehow, Michael and others that were with him, somehow they survived the collapse. They were in some room or something. Somehow they were able to survive it. And then Michael and his colleagues went on to spend the next two weeks after 9-11 taking care of people at Ground Zero. But unfortunately, just four months before Jamie's murder, Michael died. This is Fred Guttenberg's brother. He died as a result of breathing the air at Ground Zero. So think of tragedy four months before his daughter's killed, then his daughter's killed, another tragedy. Tragedy on top of tragedy. As we are witnessing with Fred Guttenberg, this is the kind of thing that produces idealists. We can only hope that he is successful in his work. I will note parenthetically here that I have gone on to Fred's website and I have contacted them to see if we can get Fred on this show. You know, I keep trying to expand the parameters of the show. We'll see if um, Mr. Guttenberg, if Fred uh, replies. If you want uh, to find out more about Fred Guttenberg, all you need to do is Google his name, Fred Guttenberg. You'll find his website. You'll be able to read um, what he has to say about the world. And I urge you, follow him. He's not going to say things nicely. He's, in, he's outraged, as he darn well should be. And so should we. Okay. All right. That's our story for the uh, featured idealist of the week. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk to Dod- Todd Dorman from the Cedar Rapids Gazette. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Follow me on Twitter at elliejkrug. Um, I love hearing from you. Oh, by the way, I continue to hear from listeners from across the country who are listening to this pod, this when it goes to podcast. Thank you. Tell others about the show. We'll be back in a second. Talk to Todd Dorman. And we're back on LE 2.0 Radio. Um, I am thrilled for the big interview. Uh, We have somebody that I've been following on Twitter for quite a while. His name is Todd Dorman. He's a columnist, um, editorial writer, and blogger for the Cedar Rapids Gazette. As regular listeners will know, Cedar Rapids is my old hometown. And before he worked for the Gazette, uh, Todd spent uh, nearly a decade uh, covering the Iowa State House. Todd, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio. How are you? Great. Glad, glad to be here. So, Todd, I wanted to have you on um, uh, because uh, 
my, you know, of course, um, I'm an Iowan and, and I do follow what goes on in Cedar Rapids quite a bit. And, and, uh, uh, by the way, my uh, friend was uh, Brad Hart, our you know, the mayor who lost the election. I actually have had Brad on the show before. Um, and I wanted to have you on because I wanted to get sort of uh, your take on what's happening in Iowa. Um, what really triggered this was I saw you write a couple of pieces about what's going on with the education system in Iowa with what Iowa legislators who are threatening public school teachers – if they te- – threatening them with like jail time if they teach the wrong subject, do I have this right? Yeah, there, there's a, a couple of lawmakers. Uh, the president of the Senate, Jake Chapman, and Brad Zahn, who's the Judiciary Committee chair, uh, what they're basically targeting are some books that are in high school libraries that uh, – some of which are, are written by uh, LGBTQ authors describing their life experiences and those – hoping that those can connect with, with students who are, you know, facing, you know, trying to navigate their own lives. Uh, they've picked small segments out of these books that, that discuss sex and have dubbed them obscene, and they want to, they've talked about writing a, a bill that would uh, create a felony penalty for educators that uh, disseminate or make available this sort of material. And, and you know, it, this kind of stuff has happened across the country. We saw in the Virginia governor's election that, that Republicans exploited this idea that, you know, parents have lost control of schools and that bad things are going on. And, right. and that's what they're trying to exploit here. Well, and, and is this I mean, is this part of a, a larger iceberg of what's going on in Iowa relative to education in general and to, you know, to other things? I mean, the state has gone very, very red compared to when I lived there. And that was only I moved out of the state in 2010. Um, what can you give us a read of what's happening? You know, how did well, we get this I, way? Know, there, yeah, I mean, there there was this sort of four year moment where Iowa looked fairly progressive on some issues. I mean, you know, 2006 voters elected a <laughs> Democratic governor and gave the legislative control to Democrats uh, in 2008. You know, Barack Obama won the caucuses. The caucuses always are criticized for being for a lack of diversity, which is a fair criticism. But that was, you know, seen as as a surprise that that you know a white electorate sent the first black president, you know, on his yep. road to the White House. Uh, in 2009, the Supreme Court here uh, struck down a ban on same-sex marriage, where it was the first Midwestern state yep. to do so. They did it unanimously. Uh, and, then the Supreme Court did it yeah, unanimously. It, yep. Go ahead. Right. So, so yeah, there, there was this moment where and I've actually talked to people who moved here during that time who now feel like it was kind of a bait and switch because, you know, starting in 2010, Terry Branstead, a longtime Republican governor, came back and ran for governor again and defeated that Democratic incumbent. Uh, the legislature slowly grew redder over the next couple of election cycles. And then 2016 just really pushed it over the cliff. I mean, a state that voted for Obama twice uh, voted for uh, uh, Donald Trump by nearly nine percentage points. The legislature was taken over by Republicans, so they had the governor, the legislature under their control. Uh, that Supreme Court that, that ruled unanimous, unanimously in 2009, I believe there's only one justice on that court, from that court left on the current court. 
All the rest have been uh, appointed by Republicans in the interim. Well, in 2010, voters uh, threw three justices off yep. the Supreme Court because of the, the same-sex marriage ruling. Uh, so, yeah, that's when the trend started around 2010. And now, you know, we've, we've got – and not only, I guess, did Iowa support Trump, but the political establishment in the state has has basically held him in a in a big bear hug ever since they they not only support his policies but they are they you know their their allegiance to him has been un has been you know just completely unbroken since that election and and they're following his playbook in many ways uh and you know so and and democrats are facing another election cycle where you know the incumbent governor is heavily favored chuck grassley the senator is heavily favored there's not much hope that the legislature will switch parties and so it's Democratic Party now here has went from being, you know, pretty uneven footing with Republicans to being kind of in the wilderness. And how did that how did that happen? And I mean, if we look at the state as a whole, you've got Des Moines, which has what, seven, eight hundred thousand people in the metropolitan Mm -hmm. area, which is a pretty blue area. You've got Iowa City, which is obviously very blue uh, Cedar Rapids, I don't know. Would we call it purple? Um, yeah. You know? Election-wise, it's usually blue as far as, you know, for president, legislature, stuff like that. So so what – how how does a state with those major metropolitan areas go and so quickly, so quickly um, to – very red and 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 I'm not a you know I'm not a big believer in in, in othering people and 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 you know I'm I'm a I'm a unifier not a divider, but but the for me the 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 background of all of this is if it can happen in Iowa it can happen here in Minnesota, and right now oh, I'm I'm yeah. in, I'm in Minnesota I, I I really wanted to go back to Iowa. Uh, to go finish out my days, you know? And, uh, I mean, I'd even started talking to this station about, like, can we do something remote, you know? Can we? Can I broadcast from outside of Des Moines? And they were like, yeah, we can make that work. But when the election of, you know, 20 occurred in the, and, you know, your Republican senator or the, uh, the uh, leader of the Senate said, we have a mandate, you know, for me as a transgender person, when you hear the word mandate being said by Republicans, that means they're coming after you, <laughs> coming after me. Yeah. So what happened? Well, I, you know, for one thing, the cities aren't yet big enough. I mean, the, the population trends are un, unmistakable. The urban counties are growing, and the vast majority of rural counties are shrinking. But still at this point, uh, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the traditional pattern on election night. We get the urban votes in first. Democrats can sometimes take the lead. Uh, that's what happened in the gubernatorial election in 2018. And then, but then the rural returns come in and Republicans do far better. The places where it's really changed are sort of in sort of your county seat, small city parts of the state where Democrats used to win, you know, places like Carroll and Fort Dodge and Burlington mm-hmm. and some of these smaller cities that have, that have have trended uh, have trended red, and I, I think you know Democrats used to be able to used to have some rural representatives. I mean, they used to win some win some rural counties, but it, the 2016 election really changed that. I mean, rural 
voters, you know, voting on cultural issues and uh, just, you know, all, all sorts of, of those issues that, that immigration, you know, things that Trump hammered on, those counties just slid completely into the, into the Republican column. And Democrats still have not figured out how they can convince those voters uh, to, to, to cons- even consider their candidates. I mean, it's very, it's very difficult for Democrats to, in rural Iowa right now. Okay. All right, Todd, we've got to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk more about what's happening in Iowa and, and get your get your take on where you think things are headed. Okay? All right? Um, listeners, we've okay. been speaking with uh, Todd Dorman, who is a, um, a, a um, journalist from uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. He writes for the Cedar Rapids Gazette. When we come back from our break, uh, we'll talk more with Todd. See you in a sec. She's making sure she's And we're back. LE 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Uh, we've been speaking with, uh, for the big interview, Todd Dorman, who is a journalist from Iowa, writes for the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Todd, before we took our break, you know, you sort of laid, gave us the lay of the land of what's going on in Iowa politically. My question for you before we took the break, where is this going to end? Where is this going to go? And, and again, I'm talking to you. First, because I'm a former Iowan, I still love Iowa, but I'm also here in Minnesota, very cognizant that in many ways, Minnesota mirrors Iowa because it's a big state with a lot of rural population. So where, so, you know, my fear is, okay, is how much is this going to spread? Where do you think it's going to end in Iowa? Well, I think the state's going to be read politically mostly red politically uh, for the for the near future I you know I I don't think Democrats are going to be able to retake the governorship next year I'm barring a change uh, the legislature legislative majorities for Republicans are, are really pretty solid uh, it you know it's so election wise that's I think we're going to remain in this in this pattern for a while. As I mentioned, the you know the, the population trends are, are out there, and, and the state is becoming, you know, more urban and less rural, and and over time that's going to, uh, you know, take some of that political power away from the reddest parts of the state and give it to bluer parts, and but that's going to take you know maybe a decade for for that trend line to continue. So yeah, it's I mean, it's we're going to be pretty red politically now. There, of course, there's a chance next year that uh, Democrats could take a congressional seat back, protect the one that they still have, maybe make some gains here and there. But uh, I would I'd be surprised if the next election results in, in a major change in the landscape. But let's talk. Thank you for that. But let's talk about, you know, the messaging. You know, we started out with the show. We've got like, you know, the leader of the Senate and leader of the Judiciary Committee literally wanting to put teachers in jail, I mean, felony charges, <clears throat> if they allow the kids to read the wrong books. And from a just from a cultural growth prosperity standpoint, 
what messaging does that that and other things that are going on in the state send to people like young people, you know, who are I mean, generally, our younger people are far more liberal, far more open minded. What what kind of messaging does it send and what does that what does that hold for the future of the state? Well, I, you know, it used to be a given that improving public schools and 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 allowing local control of public schools was sort of a bipartisan uh, bipartisan principles. I mean, every Republican governor, every Democratic governor had a program for improving public schools, you know, raising teacher pay. These were things that that Iowa did because, you know, we we've been proud of our public schools for for a long time. And but this is it's, it's very it's and, and and local control. You know, we we let school boards and and educators make decisions. That's totally changed message wise now. Uh, you know, during the pandemic, the governor and the legislature took away the ability of schools to sort of require masking and take steps that kind of dealt with their local situation. That right. they they said that you know it was, the state had to give them permission, and the state wouldn't allow them to actually outlaw mask mandates. Uh, there's there's been several issues of local control. We've got this book issue. They they passed a bill uh, restricting. Uh, Sort of diversity and yep. diversity training and and curriculum to uh, you know prohibit people from being taught that that the United States is fundamentally or systematically racist or sexist and and you can't teach divisive con- concepts that make people uncomfortable right. with regard to race and and sex. Uh, they've <clears throat> they've just taken a lot. The state has has really ruled schools now with a heavy hand, and at the same time they're promoting. You know, charter schools, they want vouchers where, where parents will be able to get their state funding and take it to pub, take it to private schools. Uh, they've complained that the, the schools are failing. You know, it's, it's just, it's sort of been flipped on its head that, you know, we were the state that supported public education so wholeheartedly. And now the narrative is we're going to just help you get out of those schools because they're, uh, you know, they're, they're teaching your kids bad stuff. They're indoctrinating them and, socialism or whatever you well, want to call they're, it they're making yeah, straight and, and, kids gay that's what they're doing todd well, they're making yeah kids gay. <laughs> yeah so but, uh but, yeah, but let's and, say and, you're and, and, and let, take, let, let's say you're a college student you know you grew up in iowa you're a college student you know you're white college let's say you're a white college student i mean let's forget about you're a diverse college student let's just say you're a white college student and you you got to make a decision and you and you you know you accept all humans you know you want you want to have a atmosphere where your children are raised where everybody's deemed you know um worthy and all of that stuff for our you know 22 year old college student right now they're looking at what's happening in Iowa and why does not the state understand what they are doing is driving those students and the diverse students away? Why don't they understand yeah. that? Well, and maybe they don't it's care. Like they want to have. <laughs> well, it's like they want to have it both ways. They want to. They want to play the Trump playbook. I mean, they want to do all of these things that appeal to his voters, that base of the Republican Party. You know. Let's let's target transgender kids. Let's target books. Let's target schools. Let's uh, you know do all of these things. You know, gut collective bargaining for 
state employees and things like that. But then, you know, they spent pandemic money, a few million dollars, on an ad campaign that's, that's called This is Iowa. And if you go to that website, you see, you know, you see photos of, of diverse people enjoying living in Iowa and, you know, enjoying the natural resources and the parks and the lakes, which they've underfunded and the water is dirty because agricultural interests won't won't abide, you know, any right. type of regulation that keeps them from dumping nitrates into yep. and other things into water. So, yeah, they, they want to pretend that this is a place where young people would want to live, but then they govern the state, you know, basically to appeal to, you know, older white Christian people. And, you know, yeah, I'm, I've got a... I've got a kid that's a, that's a sophomore in college and another that's a junior in high school, and they're politically active and astute, and they, as of, as of this moment, have no plans to stay here and don't want to stay. Yep. It's horrible. <laughs> it just, it, I, I, I just, and I, you know, and, uh, and I, you know, and I will tell you, you know, I trained the state of Iowa judiciary about six years ago about, you know, unconscious bias. That training would be illegal in Iowa today. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah. So, um, all right. Uh, Todd, I told you um, as we prep for the show that I always ask my guests what makes them an idealist. And I don't know if you consider yourself an idealist or not, although I will tell you the way you write, the things that you take up, the, the approaches that you take in your writing seem very idealistic. So are you an idealist? And if so, how did you get there? And if you're not, tell me what you think you are. Well, I'm, I, I think I'm an idealist uh, with, you know, after having covered the legislature and covered government for better part of 25 years. I've also got the pragmatic streak. You know, I've seen how the state used to be governed, you know, coming together, compromising. Bob Ray, uh, you Bob know, sometimes Ray. You don't, <laughs> yeah, sometimes you don't get everything you want, but that, that seems to... And now things are more rigid. You know, the tribes are in, entrenched. Uh, but with, with regard to these civil rights issues and free expression issues and First Amendment issues, I, I, I'm definitely an idealist. And I, I you know, I grew up in a small town and I, I went to the legislature. One, one time I remember is I went to the legislature and worked as a page when I was in high school. And this was in 1989 and the house debated all day and passed a bill that would add sexual orientation to the civil rights code, which was very forward thinking in 1989. Yep. I mean, that's, yep. Yep. that's it a was. long time ago. Yep. And I watched that debate and I heard what the opponent said and I heard what the, what the supporters said. And I just came to the conclusion that, you know, this is the right thing to do. I mean, you know, I, I certainly didn't grow up in a town where I knew people who, you know, were gay or, or any of that. But this, 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 this experience, you know, listening to that debate made me realize that, you know, civil rights is a lot broader subject than, you know, stuff we learned about in the, in the 1960s. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of, uh, oppression that needs to be dealt with. And so I think that that's definitely shaped my view of these issues from a very young age. And so, yeah, when I, when I see this stuff, I've, I've got to write about it. I've got to say something. Well, I mean, and that's what idealists do. I mean, they do say something. They try and, and act to make the world a better place. Um, I guess my last question to you is, uh, 
Are you going to stay in Iowa? You know? Yeah, for the foreseeable future. I don't, you know, when you work at a newspaper, you you, you never know when that, you know, that, that day is going to come where they say, well, the organization's decided to make a change. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's right, right. because the business is, is a little bit volatile. And, of course, we're everybody is has their has their struggles we're lucky because we're an independent paper we're not part of a chain that's made bad financial decisions we're not you know beholden to stockholders and and things like that so that's given us a lot more room to maneuver and continue to do good journalism so you know i i would like to continue doing that for a while but i guess we'll We'll see. I mean, I I love Iowa. I've I yep. got lots of people in my email inbox that tell me that I hate Iowa, but I I don't know why I would get so worked up about this stuff if I didn't love the state and want to see it, you know, be a reasonable place for everyone to live. It is a great place. I loved living there, and I wish I could go back. I really do. But Iowa will not have me. That's very clear. So... All right. Well, Todd uh, Dorman, thank you so very much for being on LE 2.0 Radio. I am very grateful for you being here. And, and uh, we, uh, you know, down the road, I'd love to have you come back to talk about what, what the landscape is, <laughs> particularly if it gets far more oppressive. Okay? Yeah, I'll, I'd be glad to be on again. Thanks. Okay. All right. Well, listeners, we've been speaking with Todd Dorman, who is a columnist and a journalist for the Cedar Rapids Gazette. He writes about a whole lot of things. Follow him on Twitter. Hey, Todd, before we go, what's your Twitter handle so people can follow you? It's at T. Dorman. At T. Dorman, did you say? Yep. Okay, at at T. Dorman on Twitter. And you can just Google Todd Dorman. You've also got a blog, right? So... Do I have that right? Okay. All right. Great. I wanted to make sure we got that in before the bumper (laughs) music. All right, listeners, when we come back, we're going to do the C block. I'm going to talk with you a little bit about uh, some giving, if you could. Hang on. Okay. We'll be back in a second. Bye. We're back. Hey, I'm 950. Ellie Krug here. Ellie 2.0 Radio. Um, Todd Dorman. Follow him on Twitter, or at least check check him out. Uh, all you have to do is Google Todd Dorman, uh, journalist. Uh, there are other Todd Dormans out there, but throw in the journalist, and you'll be able to find out about him. And it's good for me as a former Iowan who misses and adores that state, but for it's good for me to know. Um, that he is there. All right, C block here. I want to kind of talk about a couple of things. One is, uh, hey, I'm almost at the end of my year as a trainer and speaker about around diversity inclusion topics. Uh, by the way, outlawed in a number of states right now. Um, and uh, um, let's see. I think I'm going to end up with about 135 talks or events that I did this year. That is, in my book, way not enough. I would much prefer that to be up around 200, maybe 210. I really would Um, because I only have so much time left in this earth and there is so much work we have to do. 
Secondly, it looks like I'm going to be, mark your calendars, I'm going to be in Hastings on the evening of January 5th. You may recall in Hastings, um, been a big controversy about a school board member who lost her election, Kelsey Waits, whose child was outed as a part of the acrimony during the campaigning, outed as a transgender kid. This is an eight-year-old kid. Um, but I'm going to go to Hastings, uh, courtesy of the Y. MCA and uh, Thrive Hastings organization can bring me back. I've speak, spoken in Hastings before. I'm going to do it on the evening of January 5th. Stay tuned for more information about that. Although, yeah, stay tuned for more information about that. Lastly, I want to talk about giving, okay? I don't know about you, but I am, you know, I, I you know, I, it's not like a whole lot. But uh, at the end of the year, I start, you know, making my list of things I want to give to. Okay, and sometimes the checks aren't very big. They might be 20 bucks, but I, you know, want to register some support in some way. So about two or three weeks ago, I was contacted by a social worker about a transgender girl. We're going to call her Aspen, Aspen, A-S-P-E-N-B, who is now in foster care. Um, uh, She's had a, a tough, tough go of it. But one of the things that Aspen B has found that that has made a big difference to her is cheerleading. And unfortunately, the foster care system does not provide funds. You know, they have uniforms and apparently they travel and all of that stuff. And and the foster foster care system does not provide those funds. And this cheerleading is important to Aspen B for who she is. She's a transgender girl. She's 17 years old. And uh, I want to tell you about her, which I'm doing right this very minute, there is a GoFundMe for her um, to help raise money for her to be a cheerleader, okay, so she can afford the cheerleading expenses. And if you, all you have to do is Google, okay, cheerleading expenses GoFundMe. That's all you have to do, Cheer or cheer expenses, C-H-E-E-R, expenses, GoFundMe, and Aspen B's um, uh fundraiser on GoFundMe will come up. Now, she's trying to reach $5,000. There's a whole $360 in it right now. Uh, You'll see, though, that Ellie Krug uh, contributed. If you go there, you'll see that Ellie Krug contributed. And I would would welcome anybody to match that, okay? But um, please uh, consider that as part of your end-of-the-year giving, if you would. This kid could use that, and um, we are good humans, remember? Now, also, on the other, some more giving front, um, I need to make clear, okay, <laughs> AM950 could use your support. Uh, Brett and I were just talking a little bit ago. Um, there may not even be 20 progressive radio stations left in the United States. I mean, it's, it's bad. And AM950, it's an AM station, but we have a worldwide reach because of the internet, because of, of our blogs and all of that stuff, our podcasts. And so please consider giving to AM950 as one of your end-of-the-year contributions. Now, I don't think it's going to be tax-deductible. Note that. But, but really, if you can give to this station, that would be really great um, because we would appreciate that. Then finally, in the giving front – Minnesota Women's Press. Now, 
I have been a writer for Minnesota Women's Press for about two years. But Minnesota Women's Press is, you know, like close to 50 years old. It is the oldest feminist-led, feminist-founded publication in the United States. I bet you didn't know that about Minnesota Women's Press. They have had a tough go of it because of COVID. It affected their advertising greatly, as you might imagine, as it has affected a lot of other businesses. Um, and, and Minnesota Women's Press is the, – they're launching an initiative called Changemakers Alliance, which is about – remember, I'm, I'm a big advocate. of We need to talk to each other. You know, those – you know, the red and the blues, we all need to start talking to each other. And they are launching an initiative to do that. Um, but they need your support and they need your support right now towards the end of the year. So um, all you need to do is go to Minnesota Women's Press. You're going to see how uh, and a way to donate uh, to Minnesota Women's Press. I would urge you to do that. Yeah, okay, 20, 25 bucks, whatever. I mean, if you do more than that, wonderful. But if you can, can donate to Minnesota Women's Press, I would be very, very appreciative. And by the way, I write for them. I do not take a fee uh, for my writing uh, for them. That is pro bono. So just so you know, I just want to make sure nobody's like, well, Ellie, you're trying to you're trying to get us to be able to pay your pay. No, no, I don't. I don't take a dime from Minnesota Women's Press. Just so you know. OK. All right. Other than that, everyone, you know, um, we're getting to the end of the year. It has been a tough year. <laughs> 22 may be a whole lot more tougher. We need to be strategic. We need to be ready. So that means taking care of yourself. That means getting ready in terms of materials that you've read or you want to read. Maybe getting some training. Um, maybe getting a, a, a core set of friends who can be your emotional support. We're going to need it. We're going to need it in 22. I'll be here for you, though. I hope you know that. I will. All right. Well, listen, uh, that that gives us another show, okay? We're just a couple more left before the year's out. A big thank to my producer, Brett Johnson, who is literally a prince to work with. And I am so thankful for Brett uh, being part of this station. I got to tell you, you don't know how good Brett is. And to you, my listeners, I'm thankful for you. Um, please tell others about this show. Um, I would really appreciate that. Feel free to reach out to me at lejkrug at gmail.com. I love hearing from my listeners. But most importantly, between now and when you hear my voice next, will you go out and do something to make the world better? Will you do that for me? Thanks. All right. Talk to you next week. Take care. Bye-bye.